Well, welcome back to the virtual living room for the weekly post-game recap and review with your friends, Brian and Mike. We're here to lend our professional accuracy to the accounts of the Steelers games. Our professional accuracy is, is being challenged by the officials. Well, if that's how you feel, more power to you, Mike. More power to you, Brian. Yes, this is more power to you, where we will continue to preside over one of the more calamitous Steeler seasons in recent memory. This season feels kind of like a Benny Hill episode, except we lose at the end. Yeah, even the medical cart was injured and needed help off the field. Could be one of the major highlights of the of the entire season so far. Definitely elicited, elicited some belly laughs from the peanut gallery out here. But anyway, the Steelers are one of the most podcastable sports franchises, I feel. There's never a dull moment. There's always a wealth of developments, and there's many, many passionate fans, which is probably why there are so many Steelers podcasts out there. Or just a bunch of Yenzers with nothing better to do with their time. When we elect to wait a day or two before committing this farce to tape, some new information regarding injuries comes to light and we can be a little bit more news oriented. I mean, that's not really our bag, but if you pepper in some news elements between all the expletives, it makes it listenable as far as uh, a podcast goes. No, you're right. And say we were to record on Sunday, we would be very emotional, angry, and the rants would be, they wouldn't be as nuanced as I feel like we could be tonight on Tuesday. No, sometimes you got to let the good stuff sink in because the initial reaction is usually just full of rage. It's only it's only once the pain has descended beneath the skin, into the blood, maybe into the cockles, maybe into the subcockles, we don't know, that true joy of bitching about this team comes to light. Now, well, it's about to get joyous in here. Let me tell you about some of the news that broke. First and foremost, we can almost guarantee that we won't see the Wildcat for the next month or so, at least not with Jalen Samuels at the helm. He's going to be out for at least one month following arthroscopic knee surgery. They're dropping like flies, Mike. They're dropping like flies. I do, Did you see anything on Sunday that indicated that he was having knee problems? I mean, I, I felt like there was a pretty steady mix of Jalen and James. Oh, that's my new favorite drink. I'll take a Jalen and James, please. <laughs> what, what, what kind of cocktail is that? It's a wild cocktail. The Wildcat. I didn't see anything that indicated any, you know, any, any issues. That one kind of comes out of left field. Yeah, no, I, I didn't see anything. My mind was totally blank. I didn't see anything. Uh, I've got some other news here, perhaps more uplifting. Mason Rudolph, per CBS, seen hanging out at the Steelers training facility on Monday. Now, obviously, we know he's going to be in concussion protocol, no doubt. But I do doubt that we're going to see him back in time for the Chargers. Call it a hunch. Uh, with the bye looming after the Chargers game and Mason being our second string quarterback to begin with, I don't think anyone's going to try to rush him back. I think uh, we'll, we'll try to rely on the defense to get a W before the bye and allow as much time as possible for that vicious hit to uh, work its way out of the neurological portions of Mason Rudolph. I'm just glad to say that uh, you know Christmas is not canceled. Rudolph will be back to helm the sleigh at some point. Because, you know, Christmas creep is already in the department stores and retailers around the country. So why shouldn't some element of it hit this podcast? It's earlier every season, Mike. Earlier every season. So 
again, since it's Tuesday, I want to say that we would have some time to, um, there is a topic that we would be very angry about. If you recall on Sunday, I was texting you furiously because I was furious about the officiating. 48 hours later, I think a lot of people have already said what they're could possibly have been said. People have vented about it. People have made memes about it, I'm sure. Um, I don't know if there's a lot we could add to the conversation. Not that we won't try. So I wanted to just give you some time here, Mike. I'm going to skip the next 67 talking points that I drafted in preparation for the episode and just let you go. I'm going to time you. I got the clock ready. 60 seconds. Do you have anything to say about officiating starting now? It was noted during the television broadcast that this particular officiating crew was calling, on average, the most penalties of all officiating crews, and they didn't let us down. There was never a real rhythm to the game. We were the beneficiaries of some calls. Unfortunately, we were the victims of calls later in the game that I feel adversely influenced uh, the outcome, but flags are something that you have to deal with. And I think more so than anything, what bothered me the most was two, three plays later, the the announcing crew and uh, Gene Steratore, who was, you know, brought in as the uh, the official on that announcing crew, they were still talking about the particular ruling on certain challenges or on or on certain calls, and uh, I'm like, guys, we're th- we're three plays down. Shut the f- up. Three plays later, we're still talking about the same thing. I'm like, guys, can we talk about what's going on in the field right now? Just the over dissection of the the yellow flag. That's what's disturbing to me is that it becomes this overall conversation, which we, we have talked about before, that it dominates the conversation where the play is what everyone wants to hear about. If you don't know who your third string quarterback is, you shouldn't know who the line judge on a particular officiating crew is. And I feel like we're getting closer to that. You know, head judge, yes, they're on TV. They get their own lower third, so we know who they are. But when you can when you can start naming more zebras than you can backup players, it's a problem. Yeah, right. I'm going to call time right there, Mike. Thank you for that. Another week, another bullshit penalty. But I guess the takeaway is that in the NFL, you have two opponents. You have the opposing team and the stripes. All right, moving on. In terms of penalties, it was not a clean game. I texted you during the game, and I I don't know if you got my reference or not, but I was saying we had sloppy woes, slop sloppy woes. Adam Sandler was coming through loud and clear because I know how you, as Steelers fans, you know how we like them sloppy. I think Baltimore's penalties were more costly to them as a team than us. But I can recollect that on the Ravens' second offensive drive, the Steelers shot themselves in the foot, and then they shot themselves in the other foot. They were holding penalties on Barron and then are roughing the passer on to it. fact of the matter is, if you give Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram enough chances and enough penalty yardage around the red zone, they're going to score, and they did. But we're going to talk about the defensive shortly. I want to talk about the offense first. Is that all right? Yeah, let's uh, let's dive in. Okay, I want to first talk about the elephant in the room, which is the Wildcat. Now, during the Bengals game, we had a lot of success with the Wildcat formation. In a press conference or in an interview last week, Tomlin called it, to quote him, gimmicky. And to paraphrase, he correctly assumed that Baltimore would probably be prepared 
when they saw Jalen Samuels under center and prepared they were. My question, though, why would they run it on the very first play of their second possession when they were backed up at the 12-yard line instead of implementing it as a scoring attempt? I mean, I find that baffling. What did you think about that? I was enraged that one of our running backs was tasked with throwing the ball, trying to throw it away, and you know, it turning into an interception. Immediately following that screw-up, when once the Ravens scored, we went out and did what we should have done from the start, moved the ball. We threw out the, the cutesy bull and we got down to running real plays because we were also backed up against, you know, we, we were we were within sight of our own end zone. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't understand why something we discussed this in our summary of the Bengals win. I'm pretty sure we discussed it in our preview of this game that we've shown the cards. You can't hope to rely on this now working. I mean, once. Once that stuff is out there, it can be game planned for. And it certainly was. It worked to the Ravens' benefit to go up very quickly by 10 points. I was super proud of us that after that critical mistake, the next time we got the ball back, that we uh, we immediately let you know that error slide off our backs and started playing real football. They tried it again later on in the game. I think it was about their fifth possession, and it didn't work. And the fans at Heinz even booed that one. but. The first time they tried it, the pass for Washington was ill-advised and it was promptly intercepted and it deserved to be intercepted. Needless to say, the tricky plays did not work on Sunday, so we had to do things more traditionally. But I have a question for you in that regard. Are the Steelers afraid that they're going to break James Conner if they give him too many carries? James Conner had just 15 carries for 55 yards on Sunday. Jalen Samuels just had three attempts. I don't know if that was due to his injury or not. But um, I ask you, Mike, why are they not trying to run the ball? Could it be that injury James suffered in week two? They're trying to bring him back slowly from that. I mean, using him as much as, uh, you know, as much as they can, but in a capacity where it's least likely he'll re-injure something. I don't know. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of baffling to me as well because so much of winning football for the Steelers right now would and should go through a healthy running game. When he got his opportunities on Sunday, sometimes he was stuffed, but, you know, routinely in the second half, he was clipping off four, five, six yards. And I don't know if that had more more to do with a, an actual rhythm in, in our offense finally getting going uh, or – holding back the passing attempts from Devlin the Hodgehog Hodges. But this team does not have enough experience at quarterback to completely erase contributions from a, a guy like James Conner. Speaking of Devlin, you know, he had the longest run of the day, incidentally. 21 yards. It was it, it was something of beauty to see a Steelers quarterback take off and not have to worry that after three or four yards he was going to be caught because he's old and slow. One last thing before we finish off with the run game here. I just wanted to note that on the last drive of the first half, there's like three minutes left in the half. And I understand that this has to do with game clock. But when you review the plays, every single play was a pass. It was all short passes. And then on a third down, Mason finally threw a deep for Jody Holton. Again, you just have to ask, why are they not going to run the damn ball in any of those plays? If I had to hazard a guess, it's because they're afraid of breaking James Conner. That's the only thing that I can come up with. 
he's more successful in the passing game than he is on the ground this season. With that being the case, if you're not going to run the ball with him, then you know throw the screens out of the backfield and let him get you know yards after catch, and that wasn't happening either. Okay, so we got to move on here and let's talk about the passing of the baton. So it was Pittsburgh's first drive in the second half. Mason Rudolph escaped a sack brilliantly, got the pass off to Washington for 26 yards, promptly got knocked out cold. and <laughs> He was able to stand up and, and leave the field with some assistance, which was amazing to see him smile. I think there was a collective sigh of relief throughout Steelers Nation at that moment. Carried to the locker room, concussion. So Devlin Hodges enters the game. Dude was on the practice squad in August. I do recall watching him play in the preseason, and he was fun to watch. I reserve the right to have a foggy memory on this, but when he plays, it doesn't look pretty, but he gets the job done. For example, as soon as he got in, he marched down the field. It was like eight plays, and then they ran it in with a James Conner touchdown at the one. On that drive, Vance McDonald had a mighty catch and run to set up the touchdown, which was wonderful, by the way, to see Vance McDonald back in there. Again, another question that that poses, though, at the end of the game, Vance isn't even on the field, something that the broadcasting booth called out. We've talked ad nauseum about how a tight end can be the safety valve for a, you know, for a young quarterback. Cue up the 30 times that I've said that over the course of this enterprise. But Hodges seemed to, you know, he, he, he got his feet quickly enough to at least move the ball down the field. You know, mistakes mistakes are bound to happen, but he, he didn't look terrible. I thought he looked more confident than Landry ever did. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, Landry always looked very reticent, which at that point when we had drafted him, wasn't he, wasn't he like the Big 12, like all-time pass leader too? You know, before Mason broke, I know the dude was an accomplished college quarterback that even though he had, he did win games in Pittsburgh, just never looked the part, always looked like he was one bad read away from throwing a pick six. Whereas, you know, Mason until the hit on Sunday and, and Hodges from the time he came in, they didn't look bewildered. They didn't look like the game was too big for them. At this time, I know nothing about Hodges and his style of play, but I will say that he drops back way too far. I don't know if that's just some quirk and the nerves of being in thrust into the spotlight. But here's what I do know about Hodges. His nickname is Duck, and Coach Tomlin calls him Duck Dynasty, apparently. He is a Alabama State champion duck caller, if you haven't heard that already. I think there's a joke in here somewhere about calling ducks and not throwing them, but I'm sure it's been made. In fact, I think it was made by him. But I'm not in the mood to follow through with it. Hack that I am. I don't want to I don't want to run that one down. But he seems to have a connection with Juju. Yeah. A lot of Juju's action on Sunday came once Mason was out of the game. And it's hard to explain why. Why he seemed to flourish with Duck. Okay, now that we now that I don't I won't call him the Hodge Hog anymore. Uh now that I know he actually has a nickname. Uh hopefully he doesn't chuck any more dead ducks. Yeah, it, Juju got involved and and was making uh you know making some big plays at opportune times before he wasn't. But we'll get there. We'll get there now. Juju Smith Schuster. Here's what I think. He's gonna be an elite number one receiver someday. But when you see things like that fumble when he's not protecting the ball in a critical situation, 
I just feel like it's going to take one or two seasons of development and it's going to take just a little bit longer than we all thought going into this season. The talent is there. The skills are there. The speed is there. But you can see his talent. His talent is visible like on Sunday when he had when he um, when he shook Humphreys. And yeah, I can agree to to an extent. I think Juju needs to run a week's worth of fumble drills. I think he needs to cradle a football when he goes to sleep for the next you know, for for the rest of the season. Really, I think it just comes down to protection of the ball in critical moments because I, I think of last season's Saints game with his fumble at the worst possible time. And, of course, this uh, this past weekend's fumble right there as well. I believe that he is at – he's about to reach his pinnacle as, as far as – big game player could go his breakout season has happened uh he's now finding ways to reconcile that everyone knows who he is and how well he can play with that success so that could explain why it's taken until game five for big things to start happening but the one critical thing is protecting the ball he's able to shake the defenders he's able to make great catches but damn it you got to hold on to the ball those are two prime examples of big game situations where he didn't. It's trial by fire for everybody out there this season. Juju is no exception. Quick shout out to Deontay Johnson, too. I think he could assume that number two role that Dante Moncrief fumbled away. Deontay Johnson already is doing for Juju what Juju did for Antonio Brown last year. He's forcing people to have to think about him. And that's only going to make the windows of opportunity for Juju open up. It's as simple as that. So I think that's the biggest takeaway for me from Sunday is that I saw so many, so many great things offensively marred by literally a couple mistakes here and there, but they were the caliber of mistakes that were game changing. And I think if we could find any kind of silver lining on this 2019 Steelers squad. I'm going to sound like a homer here. I don't care. This is why we do this damn thing. Exactly. I mean, the future's looking very bright. This is a very young team. They're taking their lumps right now. But just think two seasons from now. Sky's the limit. And I don't care. Call me a homer. But hey, this is a Pittsburgh Steelers podcast. What do you expect? Filed under miscellaneous, Mike. How about Boswell here? Blizzard of Boz, man. Just like quietly you know. doing his job and very well. He is perfect on the season. He hit from 41, 29, and 33 on Sunday. And he also made a tackle on that long Ravens kick return. I think he's going to keep us in these games as long as he keeps his accuracy there. So good on him. Uh, he's just kicking the ball and it's going through the uprights. So good for him. Good for us. Yeah, well, it's just nice to have that reliability. Let's move on to the defense now. We've been talking for going on almost 38 minutes, and we haven't even gotten to the good parts. Despite the loss, I feel like we have to applaud the effort that the defense put forth on Sunday. Now, I have to note that Baltimore won the time of possession. It was something like 39 minutes to Pittsburgh's 25 but I think we assumed that that was kind of how the game was going to play out. It looked like overall the Steelers' defense struggled to clamp down on Jackson, Ingram, and even the Gus bus. 
God, when I when they when they pulled out the Gus bus, I'm like, you're doing a broadcast in Pittsburgh and you're gonna use bus in someone else's name. How dare you? Had the same thought. So the Steelers defense had trouble on these short yardage scenarios. There was a three and one and a three and two, and Gus seemed to use the power run and caught the Steelers twice. But it seemed like that was something that they fixed by the end of the game. They were also able to take extremely short fields and try to limit the bleeding. You know, that's the Steelers defense were given chicken and expected to turn it into chicken soup and comported themselves rather admirably considering the situations that they were put in at, at certain points. Early on, the Ravens scored off that wildcat misfire with the Samuels interception. And in the second quarter, Marquise Brown got the touchdown. But after that, it seemed like the Steelers' defense took over. Give some shout-outs here to Cameron Kelly at the interception when Jackson forced the ball to their tight end, Mark Andrews. T.J. Watt and Vince Williams had back-to-back sacks. It's great to have Vincenzo back. Mike Hilton had an interception. Looked like the defense wasn't even set on that one play. Seemed like they were almost caught out of position as they were setting up the zone, but Hilton went and grabbed it. Um, That was pretty amazing. Essentially, our offensive offense essentially spotted the Ravens 17 points the final being 23 20 the defense clamped down even given terrible field position they responded the way that a championship defense should respond after those interceptions the Ravens returned to the run between Ingram Jackson Edwards and they even introduced Justice Hill into the fun There was one moment where the Ravens decided to go for it on fourth and six, and then Devin Bush stepped into the neutral zone and fell for the draw. Our conversation, (laughs) our conversation following, following this, that was the second neutral zone infraction of the day, I believe. Recently, I've been talking with you, with, with some coworkers, just watching other games and seeing that, you know, fourth and long, Try to, you know, go out there like you're going for it and try to draw the other side off. I'm like, that never works. Damn it, didn't it work for Baltimore on Sunday? Who was on the end of that uh, of that stick? Steelers fans. Why are we the dumb ones that fall for it? You know? <laughs> oh my God. It was it was infuriating. I'm still obviously I'm still pissed about it. Um just, just unbelievable. It doesn't it doesn't work for anybody except when they play us. Come on. Rookie mistake. But Devin Bush redeemed himself with that interception. Now, whether you feel that it was an interception or not. And Ian Eagle, Dan Fouts, and Gene Steratore thought it was not an interception. They did not want it to be an interception. They continue to talk about it. It's only October, but they are on on Santa Barrett's naughty list. They keep this shit up. They're going to get nothing but coal for Christmas. I'll make sure that Mason Rudolph guides my sleigh. Dan Fouts was going to get a nice beard trimmer, but I don't know now. That's all in doubt. That interception call gets about 10 minutes of coverage time, but the phantom roughing the passer penalty gets glossed over rather quickly, don't you think? Well, yeah, because that was obviously a misstep, whereas there was some nuance to the interception call. Right. It should have been a clear no call on the Ravens' drive to tie the game, to send it into overtime. We have to admit that Lamar Jackson is good at football. He does this stutter step, and I've seen it before when I've watched other other Ravens' highlights. He does this stutter step all the time, particularly when he's headed towards the sideline. And we saw it like three times on Sunday, but it seems like 
defenders always commit to it look like the fool. There were so many times on Sunday that I thought we were going to sack him six, eight, ten yards in the backfield, and he got away. I mean, the, the, the dude is elusive. The fact that we got to him at all was pretty impressive. He's making use of what he has, and Mark Andrews was a huge part of that. So I get the praise being heaped on him, but good Lord, can we talk about something else? I mean, so it's not like the first week where Baltimore blew out the Dolphins. This was a game. This was, you know, he was making mistakes. We were actually somewhat capitalizing on said mistakes. I think a, a game, a full game with Mason, we're having a different conversation right now. Actually, yeah. we wouldn't even be talking right now. We, we were recorded right after the game. But the Steelers were able to harass him in the second half. They nearly caused a safety at one point, atoning for all those short yardage woes earlier in the game. I so thought that was a safety. I was so excited, too. That field position was due to Artie Burns. He downed the ball at the one. Nice to have an Artie Burns sighting there. Well, nice to have an Artie Burns sighting in a positive context. I uh, I about needed to change shorts when when I heard that Artie Burns did something good, and, and it was something of that level. I mean, I certainly didn't think Artie was still in Pittsburgh. And if he was, you know, this is this was the first step toward getting out of the doghouse yeah. back into back into good graces. Yeah. Let's just say that Artie Birds needed a win. But speaking of a win, Justin Tucker, courtesy of that phantom roughing the passer penalty we mentioned, gets a shot at a 48-yard field goal, and he makes it, of course, ties up the game, sending us to overtime. Justin Tucker is undeniably one of, if not the best field goal kickers in the entire NFL, and it kills me that he kicks field goals for a team we see twice a year because his leg is responsible for how many of our losses. And it seems like you need to place the ball on like their 40 yard line for him to miss one. Just, just a powerful leg and the accuracy. Oh my God. The initial approach of the ball is nowhere near through the uprights and it finds a way to just tuck itself, no pun intended, right inside. I mean, these are the things I see in my nightmares. Just painful. He's been doing this ever since he won the starting job. Ever since ever since he became the field goal kicker in Baltimore, I feel like he's been our a Jason Voorhees, a Michael Myers. You know, since it is October, I mean, may as, well, may as well throw the horror references out there, but damn it, does he not haunt my dreams. Were you on board with Coach's decision to defer after winning the toss? I guess, you know, the, the, thought, the thought being the defense is your tighter unit. You've been generating turnovers. And if you can stop them, all you have to do is rely on your most efficient offensive player, who is your field goal kicker, to win the game. Yeah, go for it. The bend-don't-break tendency of this defense, I, I won't say I, was, I wasn't slightly, uh, slightly taken aback, but I came around to I came around to why that decision was made pretty quickly. Yeah. Coach Tomlin cited Tucker's hang times that he can put on the ball, saying that the Steelers couldn't even return it back to the fifteen. And when he framed it that way, I was like, Okay, yes, that makes sense. With old overtime rules, I mean, that would have been that would have been the craziest decision ever made. Right. You would have been like, You're 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 absolutely fired. But if we could stop them which we did. It was like all you got to do is get 
get into field goal range, and this game is over. Right. When the Steelers got the ball, working their way up the field with Devlin Hodges under center, things came to a crashing halt when the Steelers threw on two and seven. To their credit, it was a completion to Juju, but he fumbled the win away. Great play by Marlon Humphrey. Now... Why was the run game not involved in this overtime scenario? Did you have the same reaction that I did? Because you know I was mad about that. I was like, why are we not? You know, where is James Conner on this overtime drive? Yeah, I mean, I think you just keep moving the ball up the field methodically with your run game. You don't chance it because, you know, your your, your running backs go through extensive fumble prevention training. They're the collision point on every running play. So... You know, keep your baby safe. The likelihood of a running back fumbling, even when players are go are using the tactics like Marlon Humphrey of punching at the ball, generally in my mind would be far less than in the open field. A receiver trying to you know trying to gain more yards, maybe more concerned about the defensive players positioning on them to make the tackle, as opposed to preventing the defensive strategy of punching the ball out. I don't know. It sounds like a bunch of X's and O's bullshit to me, and that's not what we do here. But I would have thought that we, you know, at least on second and seven, do you know, try another run. I mean, statistically, three running plays of three yards, you're like fourth and one. Maybe you get a little over three yards on one of those plays. It's a first down. You just continue to move the ball down the field. It's just heartbreaking because the game was ours. We had it. In extremely adverse conditions, we had positioned ourselves to take down a division rival, to win our second game, to leapfrog this division rival into what now would be first place, maybe second or first place in our admittedly terrible division, woulda, shoulda, coulda, a lot of what have yous, you know, a lot of... A lot of ins, a lot of outs. You know, if a frog had wings, when it jumped, it wouldn't kick itself in the ass. I don't know. I was listening to a podcast today. It was the Pick 6 podcast, actually, on CBS. And host on there said that Steelers' season was over when Ben Roethlisberger was injured. And what I find, if and if you would listen back to our podcast, none of these losses this season so far have to do with who is under center. There's always somebody else... James Conner at, at San Francisco. It was Juju Sunday. There's a lot of other little factors. It has nothing to do with the quarterback. I mean, it's not quarterback play that is affecting the Steelers and their record. Going back to, what was that, 2004? I'd like to see how many, it would have been radio broadcasters at that point. I don't believe the podcast existed I'd like to see how many radio broadcasters across the nation when Tommy Gunn went down and this Ben, we can't even pronounce his last name, came in. Uh, how, how many people wrote off the Steelers season then? This is the type of season that every team, every good team experiences. It, it, it's, it's a transition. That's what we're in the middle of, a transition. And to see a transition where other than the Patriots game, we have or could have won every single game thus far this year. The other the other broadcasters, do they not want to do their job? Or, or are they just are they taking the are they taking the easy road and saying, well, it's over? They'll be the first people to 
if this season does turn itself around, if if something good does come together and we, in my mind, bottom out at eight and eight or somehow squeak our way into the playoffs and, and have a chance to, to do something, they'll be the first people to change their tunes immediately. And on that front, them. We, we here on record week after week have been saying good things about what they're calling a team. So what's the, what's the line? Uh, rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. I, for one, am seeing a defense that maybe not on par with the historic levels of Roethlisberger's rookie campaign, but definitely a defense coalescing you know, defense coming together that has potential to make the big plays, to put this young team in a position to win. Maybe it's because we are fans. Maybe it's because we're quote-unquote homers, whatever. I don't care. I believe in what I'm seeing out there as the team is working toward getting better week in and week out. With a full game of Mason Rudolph, we beat the Ravens. Again, incrementally, week to week, we are putting something together. I should say the Chargers owe us after last year because that was one of our most bullshit losses. Uh, I'm thinking of the touchdown scored on the no call offsides where the reason the receiver was that wide open was because he took off two seconds before the ball was hiked. There's, There's some karma in Carson that's about to come due this weekend. As an exercise, let's look at our losses. So we're looking at a differential of... Two points, four points, and three points. And then if you want to look at the outlier, the very first game of the season, Patriots, 33, Steelers, three. And who was under center? Oh, Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, so for anyone saying that our season ended when Ben Roethlisberger went down, I would counter with, quite possibly, our season started when Ben Roethlisberger went down because he wasn't looking incredibly effective during that Seahawks game either. Now they've pissed me off, Brian. Well, our defense is making the Steelers competitive in games. And if the new personnel on the offense can gel, I think the sky is the limit. As our friend Dan Fouts noted on the broadcast, and as we did, you and I, humble Brian and Mike on More Power Tuyens, about four episodes back, we are a young team. And on the broadcast, didn't they say that the Steelers were like the second youngest offense in the NFL? Yeah, um, uh, I'm not sure who would be first. Do you do you know off the top of your head? I don't. You know, honestly, I don't. If anybody knows out there, please let us know. More power to yins at gmail.com. Don't underestimate. I mean, it, it looks it looks like it's going to be smooth sailing for New England, but the last two weeks, Tom Brady has looked anything but terrific. I mean, it took till the second half for them to to expose that team from Washington after this Chargers game this week. The Steelers hit hit an early bye, which could be very beneficial for them in getting some players healthy, fully healthy, and also coming out of the bye. The, the schedule is not insurmountable. You know, there's a, there aren't insurmountable wins to be had coming out of the bye. Get some gifts like Miami at home. Yeah, who on Monday night. Boy, we got two Monday night games this year, and I'd like to, and I feel like the second one will turn out very similar to the first one with the opposing team struggling struggling to score anything and our defense laying the smackdown on a woefully awful club. 
course, hey, got to play, got to play the games in the order they're scheduled. Got to show up week to week, and that's what our team is doing. That's what we're doing. These other hacks, they just don't want to talk anything, but uh, anointing the Patriots as the winningest franchise in Super Bowl history. Yada yada yada. All this other exciting that no one gives a flying about, at least not in Steeler land. I really hope that our sensors are hard at work this week. That's what happens. You know, I get, I get filled with piss and vinegar and, you know, you, you, you piss me off. So this is what you're getting. <laughs> so the Steelers travel to your neck of the Hollywoods to meet the Los Angeles Superchargers on Sunday night football. It should be a hoot. Chargers, even with Melvin Gordon back, just came off a loss. 2013 Broncos. Joe Flacco's first win in another set of ugly team colors. Yeah. Sounds like you're optimistic. Well, less optimistic than fatalistic in that that Chargers game last year was taken from us. We were in full control and one missed call turned uh turned the momentum and we ended up losing so now it's time for a team with tons of promise to to think that they're going to take advantage of a a young uh battle fatigued squad screw it dude we got we're we are the most dangerous type of team possible because no one other than a select few fans two of which who are gabbing right now even believe that we can do anything which in my mind means we can do anything. All it takes is a couple wins, string together a couple wins, and I felt like we were we were on track for that. And depending on how severe Mason's concussion is, I think we get back to winning very very soon. Here on Tuesday night, the Steelers opened up as the underdogs at five and a half. You and I know, having come from Los Angeles, it's going to be a home game. So I would like to think that's going to tilt a little bit more towards the Steelers in that regard. We're playing the team that Los Angeles didn't want. Also, knowing that the Chargers play in a soccer stadium that is generally an away home game for the away team, it's pretty amazing to hear tell of the amount of opposing fans at Chargers home games. And historically, the Steelers being, if, if we aren't well-traveled, we have tons of local fans that will show up. I, I think that can sway the outcome too. It's it's certainly not going to hurt the confidence of, if not a Mason Rudolph, a Duck Hodges. Drunk Yinzer's getting there and bellow their support for the Pittsburgh Football Club. Um, since they are playing in a soccer stadium, we'll call them a club. The fans can definitely influence the outcome. I don't think Philip Rivers or his 20 million kids can do anything about that. More Power to Yins is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, morepowertoyins.com. If you want to see our back catalog, at more power to yins on Twitter and Instagram. We do absolutely nothing there except post links to the new episodes. Because if everyone else doesn't care about the Steelers, then why should we do more than post our show? I mean, hey, it's good enough for us. Well, I think that should do it for us this evening, Mike. More power to you. More power to you, Brian. And more power to yins. <laughs>